Good morning, City Light. How are you guys doing? Hey, my name is Jason. As Sarah said, I'm church planning resident here. Uh, and it's crazy to think how quickly time moves. Uh, Sarah and I moved here from Pittsburgh uh, back in August. And the plan was to be here for about two years and then go on uh, to plant. And we weren't sure where, but it looks like uh, City Light Kansas City is a little closer than we thought, right? Right. That's exciting. Uh, multiply disciples and churches. So it looks like the multiplying churches is going to happen, right? And sooner than we thought. So we're really excited about that. But what I find interesting is how quickly uh, time seems to move. How, you know, like I said, just a few months ago, we were in Pittsburgh, and now we're here, and now we're looking to go to Kansas City. And uh, as I just reflect on my own life, uh, I was a single guy for a long time, met Sarah. Uh, we dated for about a year. Yeah, she gets a woo, doesn't she? Um, met Sarah, and uh, we dated for about roughly a year. Then we got engaged. Uh, then we got married, and then we had our first kid. And then 20 months after that, we had another kid. And then we thought, well, let's just kind of wrap this up, and we'll have one more baby, and we'll be done. Uh, that did not happen. We ended up having twins. So for a while there, we had four kids under four. And uh, I don't know if you ever heard that uh, Jim Gaffigan quote where he says, people have asked me what it's like to have four kids. And I say, imagine you're drowning and someone hands you a baby. All right. So it kind of, it kind of felt like that for a while. And so now one of my primary roles, like in my life is that of a dad. And so I don't know if you've related to this, those of you who are parents, but you begin to think about your own parents when you find yourself in these situations where you're being a parent. And uh, my dad and I had a, I don't know if it was a strange relationship or not, and I think the older I'm getting, the more common I think I'm realizing this is, uh, but we had an interesting relationship. And so when I was a baby, I was born a little premature, there were some concerns there, and so this would have been back in the 70s. My dad is in the waiting room and he's, you know, he can't go in there and he's crying because he's worried about his new baby boy. Um, and then you fast forward a couple years and apparently, now these are all stories I've just been told. So uh, my dad just carried me everywhere. He was always carrying me. And, um, and I would say to him, dad, I can walk. Dad, I can walk. So I was probably like maybe two or three, dad, I can walk. Please let me down. I want to walk. And, um, that's kind of the stage I'm in now, where, you know, my youngest kids are, they're three, the two girls are three, Jack is seven, Sadie's five, and I'm at that age where my kids still think I'm cool and they like me, right? But people tell me, get ready, because when those teen years and those preteen years show up, that's all going to change, and I can't imagine uh, how we wouldn't have a home that's just peaceful and tranquil with an 18-year-old son, a 16-year-old daughter, and two 13-year-old daughters, right? I've done the math, right? I've done the math and think that's going to be just blissful, or it's going to be a nightmare. We're not sure. So we're praying. You can be praying for us ahead of time for that. But when my dad and I sort of hit that stage of that teenage years, uh, things changed for us. No longer was he uh, crying in the waiting room and holding me all the time. We both had this great gift for irritating each other during those days. And I knew how far I could push my dad 
to get him right up to the line. Some of you guys know how to do that to your own dads, right? You knew, you knew where the line was. And so sometimes I would push a little too far and I'd push my dad over the line. And then I regretted it, not because I felt bad for uh, not being a good son, but because uh, my dad would make me pay for that uh, in his loving way. And so our attention had a lot to do with his rules. Uh, and during that time, to be honest, uh, when I felt like it was very rule heavy, uh, I did not like my dad a whole lot. Right? I didn't want him telling me what to do. Uh, I didn't like his rules, and he was determined to enforce them. So he had a saying that I'm guessing many of you have used, you've said, and that is, as long as you live under my roof, right, you guys know what I'm going to say, don't you, because you've heard it, you'll live by my rules. So as an angsty teenage boy, I interpret that as, huh, my dad views this whole arrangement as he is the warden of the prison, and I have to do what he says. Uh, so that frustrated me a lot. And my dad was a railroad engineer, which meant that he was on call 24-7. So my dad, at any moment, we could be sitting having dinner, he'd get a call, he'd have to leave and go to work. Uh, but the bad side of that was my dad could show up at home unannounced at any time. And so one example would be I was sitting there watching TV one time, and my dad shows up unannounced, and he says, uh, hey, Jason, why... What are you doing? So I'm watching some TV. He says, why, why didn't you cut the grass? And I said, I didn't know I had to cut the grass. He was like, Jason, your job is to cut the grass. It looks like an abandoned lot outside. So stop what you're doing and go cut the grass. So, you know, I chafe under that. I go cut the grass. Another example was of that would be when he got home before me. So I come home from school. It's winter come inside and my dad's like, I wanna, I wanna show you something, come with me. And so we go to my bedroom and he's like, uh, was there like a wrestling match or something on this bed? Cause it, it's, a, it's a mess, it's like tied in knots. Why isn't your bed made? And I said, dad, I just, I didn't have time, right? I overslept, I had to get ready for school. And I was old enough where I, I drove myself to school. And my dad said, well, I'm gonna help solve this problem for you and help you get up earlier so next week, I want you to walk the mile and a half to school and you walk the mile and a half home so then you'll get into this practice of getting up early and make sure your bed is made before you walk to school. Um, that irritated me too, right? Um, and those were kind of the, the years that we had where it was sort of this, uh, Jason, why didn't you do this? Jason, why didn't you do that? And I just got tired of that and uh, I chafed into that and I rebelled a bit and I got disciplined a lot. And uh, eventually though, I got older. Uh, I was no longer a teenager. I moved out of his house and I didn't have to obey his rules anymore. I didn't have to take out the trash or mow the yard or anything like that. So time passes, our relationship changes and I become an adult. And in my adult years, I ended up having this deep, deep love for my dad. Um, to where I would show up at him, my mom and my dad's house, and, and it wasn't, man, what do I have to do? But it was like, what can I do for you guys? Right? Some of you probably relate to that if you've got older parents. You show up, and now I wanted to serve him. I wanted to take the trash out. He didn't have to tell me to do anything. I was eager to do that for them. And my dad 
uh, eventually got older and a little more frail, and he got sick. And so during those years, I would give my dad rides to places. Um, when we'd show up, I'd get the walker out for him, and then as he continued to deteriorate, I got the wheelchair out for him. I'd put my arm around him, you know, to make sure he didn't fall. Not because anyone was making me do that, but because I wanted to. I wanted to do that for my dad. And as I look back on all those rules, let's say the law of Everett Wilson, my dad's name, uh, I realized my dad was not uh, trying to be a tyrant. He was actually trying to teach me some things. He was trying to instill in me uh, things that he valued, certain character, uh, discipline, values. Right? He wasn't a perfect dad, but he was a good dad, and his rules actually had some purpose to them. They weren't just arbitrary. He was just trying to control me. He was trying to teach me and instruct me. And I don't know if you like rules or not. I'm not a big fan of rules. Uh, but one thing I know is that they exist. And you can't escape that. Every time you drive and you see a speed limit sign, it's reminding you that there's a rule about how fast you can drive in your car. And in case you forget, every time you're on I-80 and you get close to that Madison Avenue exit you know the state troopers are there, right? They're always there, um, just waiting. So you instinctively slow down because you know there's a law, there's a rule, and you better follow that rule. I'm sure some of you, or all of you, actually filed for taxes this year because you know there's a law that says you have to do that, all right? And so as much as we not, might not like the rules, we gotta figure out what to do with them. And in the book of Galatians, uh, this idea of the rules, the law, our efforts, it just keeps coming up. And not surprisingly, uh, the Bible does have something to say about laws and rules. And in Galatians 3, uh, Paul is going to continue to show us that we're not saved by the law or by the rules, but they do have a purpose, right? We don't just toss them out. The law does have a purpose, right? It, the law reveals, the law guards the law teaches. The law doesn't save us, but it is useful for some things. Right? And Paul has been hammering this idea throughout this whole book that Jesus plus rules or Jesus plus laws or Jesus plus our efforts equals nothing. Equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And what Paul is doing is he's making this radical scandalous claim that it's really not about following the rules. It's not the law that saves us, but that we're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. That's what saves us. But the natural response for people who like the rules and the people Paul is writing to is what? I, I would guess they would say something like this, that, hey, Paul, we need rules. Uh, without rules, without law, it will lead to license. It will lead, it will lead to crazy immoral living. Uh, God's people have always been defined by the rules they keep. If you throw out the rules, you're basically encouraging people to go out and sin, Paul. I think their argument would continue. Paul, you preach faith alone, but after God gives a promise to Abraham, he gives us something better. He gives us the law through Moses. So their thinking is that God saved the best for last. That there was Abraham, he gets the promise, but later on, it's Moses. So Paul anticipates this, and he, here's his rebuttal to that thinking, starting in verse 17. He says, this is what I mean. 
The law, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So Paul is arguing that Abraham was given a promise. And why Abraham is important is Abraham is considered the the father of the Jewish people. So they would refer to themselves as children of Abraham. Because way back in Genesis, uh, God promises to bless Abraham and through him bless the nations. So long before the law was given, way before the rules show up, Abraham was right before God. He was righteous because he believed and trusted in God. He is the prototype of being right with God based on faith in God. So it's always been a promise, guys. It's always been a promise. It was never a wage or a paycheck. It was never a condition of Abraham's obedience or works. It was always a condition of God's promise, God's word, God's faithfulness. And God and Abraham, they've entered into this agreement, this covenant, this contract. And just because the law uh, comes later doesn't change God's mind. It doesn't change that contract. Uh, The promise isn't a condition of obedience or works, but on God's work and God's faithfulness. This is the point that Paul is trying to drive home. So the example Paul gives is that of a will. So it would be like if Sarah and I... uh, We pass away, and the judge sits down to read our will, and it says, all right, Jack gets everything, the three girls get nothing. And the judge looks at that, and that bothers him. And he says, I feel like that's a little impartial, that's biased, that's not fair, doesn't make sense to me. So he says to Jack, he says, hey, I'll give you this money, but you have to make sure you financially take care of your sisters. Uh... The judge cannot do that. And that's what Paul is saying. You cannot add to a a will or an agreement once it's been written and done. This is Paul's argument. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness or as right standing with God. His belief, his faith in God made him right. Not his obedience, not the rules, not his works. Here's the thing. See, like the law was never meant to be a way of getting right with God. Getting right with God has always, always, always been about faith in God. Always. And so the argument continues. If this is true, if it's not about the law and the rules, if this is true, if it's not about our obedience, but it's about our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, then the big question is, uh, why all these rules? Why do we have all these rules? If God promised to bless Abraham no matter what, then why does God give the law to Moses roughly 400 years later? Uh, Why the temple? Why the Ten Commandments? Why the book of Leviticus? Right, what's the point? This is what Paul's wrestling with in this text. And if you ever wondered about that yourself, why does the Bible have so many rules? Is God a killjoy? Can't God lighten up a little bit, have a little fun, let loose? What's up with all the rules? This is the question that Paul is wrestling with in these few verses. And what Paul is going to show us is that, yes, the law does not save us, but it has a purpose. It reveals, it guards, and it teaches. So first we're going to look at uh, Galatians 3.19, and Paul says this. He says, why then the law? See, he's anticipating the question. Why the law then? It was added 
because of transgressions. Uh, Paul says it was added because of transgressions, or another way to say that is sins. And the idea here is that the law shows us our sin, and it actually, it reveals our sinful hearts. So when I got angry at my dad for showing up when I'm trying to watch TV and he wants me to go cut the, cut the grass, and I get mad about that, and I don't want to do that, his law revealed in my own heart my laziness, my selfishness, my anger, my lack of gratitude for all he's done for me. It revealed that in me. Um, when we think about like the Ten Commandments, pretty popular law, right? We're told not to lie. We're told not to commit adultery. We're told not to covet. What the law does there is the law reveals stuff about us. So when we get drawn in or tempted into those things, right, the law reveals when we're tempted to lie that we really love getting out of a jam more than we love the truth. When you feel that pull, the law is showing you your heart. Or when we're tempted to look lustfully, all right, to entertain those thoughts, the law is revealing there are places in us where we're more drawn to lust than we are purity. Or there's places in our hearts where uh, our desire for materialism is greater than our desire to be generous. The law just exposes that to us. It reveals that in our hearts. Right? The law shows us what's in us, that deep down we're sinners. Right? Because even the things we want to do, the law shows that. The law was not given to save us. Uh, it was not given to show us how to get in God's good graces or get right with God. The law does not give grace, right? But it shows that we need grace. It reveals that. The law doesn't make us right. The law is actually showing us that we're wrong, right? The law was given to reveal our sin that we're in desperate need of grace and mercy. That's what the law is doing. It's, it keeps showing us. It keeps showing us. The point of the law is not keep the rules to get right with God. The point of the law is to show us that we need someone or something greater than us that can keep the law perfectly, uh, something that crosses every T and dots every I, because we can't do it. The law reveals that we're sinners in need of a Savior, right? But that's not all it does, right? That's not all the law does. The law, reve- the law um, reveals, but the law also guards. So in verse 23, it says this, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. This picture Paul gives us of the law here uh, is that the law is a prison guard, and those who live by the law are prisoners or are held captive. Now, uh, in some way, the guard, the, how the law guards us is good. In other ways, it, it can be stifling. So the law guards. It says we shouldn't steal, right? That's, that's the law. Uh, and I'm promising you that if you go over to Casey's later today and empty out the cash register, you're probably going to end up in jail. Call it a hunch, but I think you will, right? The law is protecting you by saying don't steal. It's protecting you. It's guarding you from ending up in jail. Uh, the law says you shouldn't commit adultery, right? So if you go out and uh, commit adultery, you may lose your marriage. Your relationship with your kids is going to be strained. Your reputation is going to be different, and the law is guarding you from those consequences. The law says we shouldn't lie, right? If you're a person that lies, people will doubt you. Uh, you won't have, you won't be known for good character or a good reputation. People will not just, they just won't trust you. 
See, the law is guarding you from those consequences. And as parents, we get this. Uh, I have a law or a rule that my kids can't play in a busy street. Right? That's not because I'm being a tyrant. It's because I want to protect, I want to guard them from that. If they break that law, I will come down heavy on them. Right? Because I love them. Uh, Sarah and I have a law or a rule that she can access anything on my phone at any time and I can access anything on her phone at any time. Uh, that's a rule or a law because we're trying to guard or protect us, each other, from secrecy, from hiddenness, and, and keep our marriage open. No secrets. Right? The law is there. The rules in the Bible are there to protect us. But hear me on this. I think most people get that part. But the important thing is, is this part of the law. If we try to use the law or rules as a means of being right with God instead of Jesus, the law will imprison us because laws and rules are not good saviors. Okay? Jesus is a good savior. Laws and rules are not. Right? Jesus is full of forgiveness. Laws and rules do not forgive. Jesus has uh, grace and mercy. The law does not. Right? So the law becomes bondage and slavery if we use it to try to be right with God. If our standing with God is based on how well we keep the rules, God will not be seen as a loving father, but he'll be seen as this cosmic tyrant, a prison guard, a kind of uh, angry dad who every time you mess up is there to remind you and yell at you and tell you how much you failed, right? If we live by the law, if that's what we use to be right with God, that's our relationship with God. And it will be very impersonal. Uh, we will never be secure in our faith because we will have this anxiety of whether or not we've done enough. Our Christian life will lack joy because we, we're not sure if we mess up, if God's going to be mad at us or if he's going to punish us. Right? Have you ever said that? Is God mad at me? Have you ever thought that? I wonder if God's mad at me. Maybe I should read my Bible more then. Maybe I should serve more. Maybe I should give more. And we do all those things, and if we wrestle with that, it won't be enough. And so then we'll, we'll think of more laws and more rules to add. And here's where that question comes from, is God mad at me? Because deep inside, when we start to trust laws or rules to get closer to God, when we start to believe in our ability to make God happy, to be right with him by jumping through all these hoops and ring all these bells and whistles, it backfires on us. It backfires. And all that effort to do right and be good just turns into exhaustion. And without really meaning to, we've traded the promises of God's love for us for the tyranny of God's law. Right? We have this promise that God loves us, but we trade that in for the tyranny of his law, and it feels like a prison. It feels like me mowing the yard for my dad because I want to make sure he loves me instead of mowing the yard for my dad because I'm sure of his love for me. Motive changes there. And it's sort of like this treadmill that we just run on and we run on and we leave exhausted and we get nowhere. That's what happens if we use the law to, to make ourselves right with God. So the law reveals, the law guards and finally, the law instructs. Verse 24 says this, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. 
Paul also says that the law, he says as a guardian, uh, not in a prison guard sort of way, but more of a tutor or like a childhood supervisor. You know, someone who's in the family teaching kids, teaching kids that are in that house. Uh, so the law serves as a tutor. The law is not family, right? But the tutor knows the rules. A tutor is used for a season until the kids uh, know how to conduct themselves. They know the subject well enough to where they can do it on their own. And the hope is that our kids would grow up and not need a tutor to tell them the rules. So the law is taking us from childhood to adulthood, from immaturity to maturity. And faith in Christ, it frees us from being defined by the law. We're accepted before God based on Christ's obedience, not ours. So does this mean that I can forfeit all the rules, live as I want, and go crazy? No. Sometimes I wish I could. Uh, but Galatians 3 is helping me see that I can't. I can't do that. Uh, and the reason I wanted to obey the rules, if we call that, of my dad as an adult was merely because I loved him. Right? I wanted to honor him. And in a weird way, I wanted to be like him. Right? His rules taught me what was important to him, what he valued, what he held close, what he thought was important. And as an adult, securing his love for me, those rules that I followed had nothing to do with fear or punishment. My dad wasn't going to like verbally abuse me because I didn't show up to his house and take out his trash. And I wasn't looking for compliments or rewards. I just wanted to love my dad. Right? So I followed his rules out of love for him. And the law, in this way, teaches us, tutors us, and shows us what's important to our Heavenly Father. The law doesn't make us right with the Father, but it does show us what he values. It shows us what he holds dear in his heart, what he cares about, what's important to him. All right, so that's a lot about the law, right? And I'm sure after talking about all these rules and laws, none of you are ever uh, gonna speed again. And I think that's great of you, right? But so here's the real question. Where's Jesus show up in this? What's Jesus have to do with all this law stuff? Where's Jesus coming into the picture? See, like here, this is good news, right? We think about law and keeping law. This is the good news, that Jesus comes from heaven to earth and he lived a perfect life. He kept all the rules perfectly. He obeys the law down to the last detail so that he, in him, he can present us before the Father as those who have kept the law perfectly. Right? That means that in Jesus, the law has been fulfilled and all its requirements met, satisfied in him. So now, when we read a command or a rule in the Bible, we don't follow or observe it to gain anything from God. We do it for the sheer pleasure of loving Him. Feel that. Like just to love Him. We do it to honor Him. Uh, we obey from a place of acceptance and love, not in order to get acceptance and love. So see, like, as we seek to obey God, let's do it as a result of receiving His love and acceptance already, not from earning it not from trying harder because if if we obey to receive love and acceptance we will truly never be free in the father's love if it's always to get more to get in his good graces i'm going to do it no we have it in christ that brings tremendous 
freedom and liberty. I want you guys to feel it. It's tremendous freedom and liberty. And when we fail to obey, which we will, we will fail to obey, the law and God's grace and mercy shows us that we're sinners so that we can run to Jesus and know that Jesus is greater than our offense. That's what the law is doing. Our failure does not condemn us anymore. It shows us the depth of our sin and the height of his love. That's good news, guys. That's good news. And because Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the law, we can live confidently that no matter what, whether I am um, uh, perfect every time or I keep failing, his love for me does not depend on either of those extremes, right? He loves me himself. Jesus loves us and has not rejected us for those of us who have placed our faith and our hope in him. So now we can obey joyfully, freely, out of love for him. I see like, uh, I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and pray with me. Jesus, I thank you so much that it's always been about faith. So for those of us who have felt that weight, that burden of am I doing enough? Does God love me? Does God approve of me? What more can I do? What else can I do? Those of us who feel the burden, the weight of that, we gotta do something else. Thank you that it's always been about faith in you. That the work that you call us to trust in is not our efforts, but on the work you accomplished through your life, death, and resurrection. Thank you for that. Thank you that your law reveals to us our sinfulness. And not to condemn us, but to point us to you. And may those of us in this room that have struggled with guilt and shame, we feel like some of those things we've done or things that have been done to us have prevented us from fully being embraced by you. Show us, not just in our heads, but in our hearts, that you are greater than our sin. That you are greater than anything that we've done. That you love us. Thank you that your law guards us and protects us. And thank you that it shows us your heart and what you love and what you cherish. May we be people who serve you and love you well, not out of reward or punishment, but because we're free to obey, that we find joy in following after you, that when we see the things that matter to your heart, uh, we, don't, we don't obey out of a sense of obligation, but we obey out of a sense of joy and love and celebration of holding dear the things that are dear to you. I ask this in your name. Amen.